and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, someone, this, this is one of the best ones, folks. This is one of the best episodes of this whole show's run. Fat Tony, Houston rapper, or, or Los Angeles rapper now, but but from Houston originally, a guy that I'm a huge fan of, but more than that, someone that has had their life kind of forever altered by punk rock, and that was something that I did not know until he and I discussed it just before doing the show. Anyway, we'll get into all this in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to uh, the Turn Out of Punk email address, which is turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There is also various ways to get me on social media at Left for Damien. There is a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. And Tristan is having a birthday today. So please send him a message on Facebook or yeah, Facebook. Facebook's probably the best way. But he, Tristan is the guy that makes this thing run together. Without Tristan, there would be no turn out of punk. So if you enjoy this show, thank him. And I got to say, there would be no show without him legitimately. So I love you, Tristan. Thank you for everything you do. Not just for me as a brother, but for this whole show and as a show producer. So, yeah, there. It's a very public birthday card I just gave you. (laughs) A little awkward now to transition out of that. But, you know, that's what this show's about, awkward transitions. Uh, If you would like to support the show, you can support the show by heading over to iTunes if you use it. Uh, whatever, actually, whatever platform you use this thing on, subscribe to it, write a review of it, uh, rate it, uh, tell all your friends about it. That's the best way to help out, you know, kind of word of mouth. And it gets you, you know, gets you off your butt, gets you talking to your buddies. You know, that's a, a good thing to do. You know, it's good to stay in touch with people. Speaking of support, though, this show would not be possible without the loving support of the fine, fine folks of Vans and House of Vans. House of Vans, of course, are back this summer. You know, you got to check this out. You know, you can find out more information about the House of Vans. There's Chicago and New York. Uh, They had their first one, I believe, last weekend. There's ones pretty much every weekend. And, like, every week there's something going on. And there's all sorts of cool visual arts as well. And it's everyone. Like, I mean, everyone from, like, suicidal tendencies to dead milkmen to... Uh, Vic Mencina, but not not that that has anything to do with uh, this show in particular. But Pennywise is playing, which definitely has something to do with this show. And uh, there's there's tons more. It's a a who's who of artists from all genres, but certainly there's a lot of punk on there. So check that out, House of Vans. I've had so many amazing times there over the years. It's actually where I met the group Horror. You know, or I didn't meet them, but they saw us play there. So. You know, you can make all sorts of connections, future connections there. You know, it's a a fun time. Uh, Thank you, Vans, for supporting this show and letting me book whoever the heck I want. Because you never know which way this show is going to go. Last week we had on Matt Jackson from the great state of Texas, a guy who builds, um, you know, bikes, uh, renowned for that, award-winning for that. This week on the show, we have another artist from the great state of Texas, someone who is renowned for his amazing rapping, completely different skill set, completely different upbringings in Texas, but both of these individuals have gone on to kind of excel in their fields. This week on the show, Fat 
Tony. Now, he is someone that I've met a couple times, you know, mainly in passing. So to have the chance to sit down and talk with him, that's why I do this show. Um, And I had no idea that he was such a deep head of punk and hardcore. And the thing that's amazing, and why I think this is such a cool sort of juxtaposition to last week's episode, is both of these guys grew up in isolation as far as, you know, having to discover this music on their own. And Fat Tony is someone that dug deep and found some awesome, awesome stuff and had some amazing journeys along the way. He's uh, a rapper that you've probably heard of if you are a fan of rap music in the last sort of like 10 years. He's put out a number of records on all sorts of different labels, made appearances on everything from ASAP Rocky to, you know, uh, Das Racist records. ASAP Rocky. Those two records that he also appears on came out the same year, so I guess that's not a, like a huge journey on there, but he's done way more since then. Um, and I also, on the show, weirdly refer to ASAP Rocky as Aesop Rocky, but I think it's because I had uh, Aesop Rock also on my brain for some reason. Um, anyway, I'm sure that confusion has happened before. There's like a YouTube video where the two of them meet each other. I'm digressing. And that's not what I'm supposed to do in the intro. I'm supposed to leave that to the show where the digressions are happening. Anyway, so Fat Tony is someone I'm a huge fan of. This is one of my favorite episodes ever. Check out his super deluxe show, though, Thrift Hall. He's a very funny person, a great host, and also, uh, you know, uh, one of the best. One of the best I've ever had on this thing. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Fat Tony on Turned Out a Pump. Fat Tony, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a fucking honor. Oh, well, uh, it's an honor for you to be on for me because I'm a fan. I think I, I, you know, came a little bit later than a lot of people, especially in the Houston area. But like hearing you on that ASAP uh, Rocky record way back when uh, was like a a revelation for me and kind of like been a fan ever since. Stoked to meet you way back when. I guess through Ben, right? Yeah, Ben Cook, shout out to the boy. Shout out to Ben Cook. Ben Cook, the unlikely link of many worlds in my life, I find. <laughs> yeah, I remember, um, damn, I think it was maybe my second time coming to Toronto. I befriended him, mm-hmm. and he took me all over town. It seemed like he had, he had friends in every corner of Toronto. Yeah, he's one of those guys that just, you know, like, I, I, I look at his story on Instagram sometimes and I'm like, what city are you even in? It's yeah. Just, it's always like a different <laughs> nook of Toronto somewhere. I like that though. You know, someone that's on the fucking go. That's kind of how I've been living my life and how I got to where I am today. Well, that brings me to where I want to go because we're not here to talk about Ben Cook or anything else. Toronto. We are here to talk about you, Fat Tony. And I want to start this off the way I start them all off, which is how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Absolutely. So I'm 30 years old, born in 88. I'm I'm of what I would call the MTV generation, mm-hmm. the uh, post-Kurt Cobain generation, where after Kurt Cobain passed away, I feel like they played a Nirvana video or a Nirvana clip on, on MTV every single day, at least seven times a day. <laughs> and I remember being a kid watching a clip of Nirvana playing on the Video Music Awards. And at the end of their performance, they thrashed all their instruments and threw their guitars and jumped on the cymbals and the drum set. 
And for some reason, that really spoke to me. And I grew up living with my brother, my mom, my dad, and my grandmother on, on my mom's side. And my grandma was the really friendly one who was really encouraging of all my like creativity and just wanted me to be a happy child. Mm-hmm. So I went to her and I asked her to invest in a drum set for me. She bought me a drum set. <laughs> it ended up being my first instrument. And I just broke the shit because I thought that that's what you do. <laughs> you like jam on it for a while and then you jump on it. And, you know, I thought that that's what bands did. So that's the first time that I saw a rock a rock band that really spoke to me. Um, and it was later on that I found out that they were punk. I remember around that same time, there was a Green Day video, Welcome to Paradise, that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And there was a Ramones video, I Want to Be Sedated, that I also liked. And at the time, I wasn't like, I was loving music. I was loving all kinds of music, especially pop music like Michael Jackson and stuff and mm-hmm. rap music. But I wasn't really tuned into rock music except for those three artists and those three songs, really. Um <sighs> And then fast forward to me getting out of elementary school and going to sixth grade, I had a friend in sixth grade named Jared Roby, and he had a Blink-182 CD, Enema of the State. And I remember on a long field trip, he let me borrow the CD and listen to it on our bus. And um, I listened to the whole album, and I just thought it was funny, and I could kind of like connect the dots between the style of music they were playing and those few songs i heard from nirvana and from ramones and green day and i went out to target and i bought enema of the state love blink 182 and from that point on i just kind of went down the wormhole of of getting into more and more punk i I was already into the internet and i found a bunch of blink 182 fan sites which like talked about their older music Mm -hmm. and in some of their older records they covered bands like descendants and no no effects and dinosaur jr and I started looking up those bands and it just kept going and going and going and going until by seventh grade, I was fully obsessed with punk music. Where did the love of music come from you uh, early on? Did you grow up in a household of, of music lovers or is that like something you kind of discovered on your own? Yeah, I I think all my, I think my mom and dad and my grandma both loved music too. They weren't like the traditional music head who was playing music constantly, but they, they had records and I know that they enjoyed music, even though they, they didn't come off like, you know, music nerds or or anything. Right. Mm -hmm. On my dad's side, my dad is Nigerian. He uh, came to the U S when he was like 19, 20 years old after being in this terrible civil war that happened in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And I just remember him being a big fan of country music and reggae music. And I wasn't really sure where the country came from, but I later discovered that many people in West Africa love country music. And that's a whole nother conversation and and shit that we can dig into, too. Yeah. But he was the country music and reggae fan. My mom, I would say, was more of the punk. She loved rock music. She loved shit like the Beatles and Rolling Stones. She was a pianist. She went to a school where she learned to sing opera. Um, she was she was definitely the most musically talented of them. And I remember looking through her records, and she had like a Devo album. <laughs> she she like had a Lou Reed album. I like later ended up 
getting some of my first punk CDs outside of Enema of the, of the State from her because she had this uh, Ramones uh, CD box set that came out in like 99. And I also took her uh, Nirvana Nevermind CD. I like borrowed it, quote unquote, but never gave it back. <laughs> and and my grandma, my grandma loved country music and loved gospel. Oh wow! So that that the stuff your mom had—that's pretty awesome. Like, yeah, I remember seeing like you know new wave records and her stuff, and I have this memory of after I destroyed that drum set, I was thinking, oh well, maybe I should get an acoustic guitar, and I pointed out her like. Devo record, and she tried to show me how to play Mongoloid Man by Devo. <laughs> and, and like at the time, she was like, Oh, this is a really simple song on this record. You'll totally get it. It wasn't until later I was like, Damn, that's that's actually extremely cool. That's so cool. That is <laughs> super badass. Um, was your dad into high life music at all? Like, were you exposed to that at all growing up? Yeah, yeah, my dad does like high life music and i didn't figure that out until later because my dad he was like he is more of the mindset where like he kind of shunned the arts in a bit he's he's like more of a math and science dude worked in like oil and gas ever since he came to the u.s and got out of college um he was he was never the type to, to really talk to me much about music you know i i always looked at him as anti-music even though he would play like country music and stuff around me when we go on drives. He would never really talk about it. He never really seemed like a fan. It just seemed like it was part of his like day to day. But I think that was just more of his like demeanor than his actual taste. But yeah. when I got in, into high school, I had this moment, this big ice breaking moment where I was in my room blasting music which i did regularly and i was blasting an al green cd and he came in my room and was like yo now this is some real music <laughs> and then he walked out 30 minutes later he came back and he burned me some al green cds and um that was the first time that i felt comfortable really talking to him about music and i asked him about african music and he burned me a king sunny day cd and some more high life stuff that's awesome. So both on both sides, you kind of came, you know, like from from great taste. Yeah, I think so. Um, what was your first kind of record that you actually bought? Do you remember, uh, like, of any genre? The very first CD I ever bought was Crisscross, Totally Crossed Out. Oh, I had that on tape. Nice. And I got into that because I was a big gamer, right? Mm -hmm. And I was really in love with Sega. I had Sega Genesis, and I had this system that was really slept on called the Sega CD. Oh, I had the Sega CD, too, with Night Trap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I never got, got that game because it, it was a bit controversial. I don't think my mom would have let me touch it. My stepfather um, confiscated it from us at one point, so... <laughs> Yeah, that it was, was controversial. I, yeah, I feel your pain, man. But um, <laughs> we like used to go to this shop called Funko Land, which I think got bought out by GameStop, and I would get these like used CDs because by that time Sega CD wasn't popular anymore. I want to say this is like '96, right? Yeah. And um, I and I noticed that they had some like music games, and I was a music fan, so I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna just grab these games." They had this game series called Make My Video, where like you could edit music videos of like different artists. And yeah. I bought two. I bought a Crisscross one and a CNC Music Factory one, right? Because that's all they had. 
they like also made a Marky Mark and the and the Funky Bunch one, but Funko Land didn't have that. Thank God, because who, who knows where my taste would have went if I bought that it, shitty album. It, it kind of speaks to it. Really dates the Sega CD with those three artists. Yeah, it 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 dates everybody that's involved in this podcast and anyone listening that has any idea <laughs> what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was gonna say like I think you were pretty young to be getting into crisscross, even right, like. Yeah, it was like, you know, definitely by this point, Chris Chris Cross was past his prime. Mm-hmm. And then this, man, this had to be like 96 or 97, because I remember being at the music store. After I, well, to backtrack a little bit, I bought the game. I liked the game. And I was like, yo, these are some little kids who are like rappers. Yeah. I love music. Maybe I could be a rapper, too. I want to hear more of this music. Now that we have a Sega CD, we have a CD player in our house. Mm. Prior to that, we just had a had a cassette player. So the only music that I played was like Michael Jackson tapes and just, you know, shit like that. I yeah. had never really had a rap album in my house before. There was one rap album in, in my house the whole time. My mom had a Houdini album because she really loved um, one of their like big hits or whatever right mm-hmm. to this day i think that they're a great group and they're really slept on and underrated and their production is insane and i could go on for hours about how amazing Poutini is but anyway i i went to the store it must have been like 97 because on all the walls they had posters of the machiavelli album <laughs> and, of, and of the spice world album the second spice girl cd right yeah, yeah. And and I bought the Crisscross CD. It was dumb cheap because it was years after it was popular. Um, and I just played that over and over on my Sega CD and just learned every word and and just thought to myself like, damn, I want to be a be a rapper now. Because mm. even when I like, even when I had those like instruments and stuff, like like I got a drum set and I had that acoustic guitar, I wanted to make music, but I still didn't feel like that was my absolute calling. I felt like that was something that was fun for me and that I liked to do. But when I saw the crisscross stuff, I was like, rap music, that's my shit right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like crisscross, like, you know, like now it's, it's very much maligned or maybe it's come back around now and people like, like it again in a, in a post ironic kind of way. But like, it was super cool as a kid to see a bunch of little kids rapping. Hell yeah. That was crazy to me. You know, every time, even even with like punk, one thing that, that I loved about punk is that it was like teenagers making music. Yeah. It, it just made me feel more like, wow, I can do this. Because prior to that, you know, I feel like a lot of people in like music were really grown up or at least grown up seeming. Like I look back at a lot of bands from like the 80s and shit that were popular People had like full grown beards and shit, and we're in their like thirties and shit, yeah, and yeah. making hits. You know, I'm a I'm a child. I'm trying to get my foot in the game. I can't really look to them as my peers, but I see a straight up like ten or eleven year old sagging their pants, making rap music. That's me. Yeah, and it's it's really the only two genres that kind of give youth like a voice or take youth seriously you know in any sort of real way yeah taking it seriously is a a a big part of it because there's there's like so much music out there that features children making the music but they just put in this like kitty box yeah but i but i remember the crisscross cd 
they were talking about shit that was kind of real to me. They were talking about how like they missed the bus, right? <laughs> but it's but it's not just like oh I missed the bus and it's like oh it was like whatever. Like they were having like an existential crisis about missing the bus, and there was this whole storyline, all this crazy shit. Like it was taking being a kid seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because well, he went to bed late, and then early wouldn't let him get up. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's great that you remember the lyrics. Oh, that I was, I was also very much a fan. You know, I remember getting that tape, driving around with my my papa, my grandfather, in his car, <laughs> blasting it at full oh, volume. Yeah. So there was a uh, a nine year old kid. And a 60-something-year-old man driving around Montreal, blaring crisscross at full volume in celebration of how awesome that record was. Dude, if I was 60s and had a freaking nine-year-old in my life I had to watch after, I would let him blast rap music, too, at any volume, <laughs> at any time. It's It, it definitely, uh, you know, like looking back on it, as you, you know, it was a, a transformative record, you know, for a lot of people. And it, yeah, like it... it and also, they showed up in the Down with the King video too. Yo, word the uh, when fucking Run DMC tried to make a comeback as like a hardcore hip hop group. I, yeah, I can't get that. That's a sick song, though. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I was Run DMC was kind of like my gateway to music entirely. So that record, when that came out, I was like, I like this song a lot, even though it is kind of a a religious rap song ultimately. I I didn't really know about that song when it was out or, or or even shortly after it was out. I found out about that song when I went to high school and my grandma got me a Run DMC greatest hits CD for like Christmas. Awesome. And I and I was pretty familiar with their like 80s stuff and the last track was that one and I was like what is this? And then I looked up like an image of them and they're dressed all hard and like the black leather and looking like fucking naughty by nature. <laughs> I was like, yo, this ain't the Run DMC that I grew up with. <laughs> so I, so I'm, I always skipped over that track. But, you know, maybe I should take a look back. I'm, I'm saying maybe, maybe give it another chance, you know, <laughs> maybe give it another chance. Uh, what was your first kind of awareness of sort of a local music culture, be it like, you know, punk or rap or any anything? I remember in elementary school, I don't know if it was second or third grade, I remember my Mom picked me up and she told me that Fat Pat had been murdered. Mm. And I and I knew of Fat Pat because he had a song called Top Drop that they played on the radio a lot. And I was familiar that he was a Houston rapper, right? Growing up, a lot of the popular Houston rappers like him or Little Kiki or Big Mo, they, they played them on the radio side by side with like Master P or Jay-Z. So... In my young mind, I didn't really see them as like local. I just saw them all as rappers. And I used to watch this uh, music video show called Street Flavor that came on Channel 8, which was our PBS. Mm -hmm. And it was like a locally made music video show, but they would play videos by local artists and by bigger artists. And because I didn't really have an idea of what's regional and what's the mainstream, it was all the same to me. So when my mom picked me up and told me that Fat Pat had been murdered because she heard about it on the radio, that was when I was really like, whoa, that's that's not the same as like when Biggie was murdered or Tupac was murdered. That was one of our guys. And that's the first time it really dawned on me that, 
you know, these these like Houston people, these 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 Houston artists are more of my people than not. Mm-hmm. When did you first uh, go to like a live concert or any sort of like live music event? And I feel hella lucky because my first concert was MF Doom. Dude, that's awesome. Also, I glossed over the fact, once again, your mom is the coolest. Like, you know, showing up (laughs) and breaking that news to you as like, you know, you need to know this. um, That's pretty fucking rad. Yeah, she like she like knew, you know, everybody in my household was aware that I loved music. Mm-hmm. Like like I made it very clear to them that I was obsessed with music and I always wanted to talk about instruments and ask about music and I played music constantly and I always wanted to put on the radio and MTV and BET like like any anything musical I was in, interested in, like even stuff like the Beatles which I didn't really have a context for. I just had heard of them because they're popular and I knew my mom liked them. So I would just ask her, like, what are your favorite Beatles songs? Can you tell me about this group? Like, I was just curious about any kind of knowledge that I could get about music. I was on it, Mm -hmm. you know? Where'd you think that comes from? Like, once again, it's probably from both your parents, right? I don't know. I feel like, feel like it's, Definitely a bit from them because growing up in, in a household and just seeing records around kind of does something to your mind. Yeah. It like it kind of makes you view music as family too. And I'm not talking about just like a few records. Like my like they had a record collection that existed way before I I was around. And we're talking about my grandmother's record collection my mom's record collection and my dad's record collection all in the same house that's a lot of fucking records yeah so so in my parents room there were a bunch of records in the living room there were split between three different people's record collections in my grandmother's room she had her tapes of like gospel and stuff so there's a few rooms in my house where i can just walk around and just see music and then Several rooms had a freaking TV in it, so I was so I was in in an environment where music was like never totally shunned, you know. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's always at hand too, right? Yeah, I would just, and I was also really like curious about like electronics and stuff. Just being a big old nerd, maybe from, from my like gamer side, I was interested in like how their old record players worked and just like fiddle with them and just look at what the knobs did and like look at what the meters would do on like the equalizer and stuff like all that fascinated me um where did you go uh kind of like back to the mf doom show where did you kind of like first hear about mf doom so i heard about mf doom from this kid named uh ryan who i, I want to say might have been like my first like white friend who wasn't from my neighborhood that I bonded with because I grew up in in this like historic black neighborhood called Third War. Same neighborhood as a lot of famous artists like mm-hmm. Big Big Mo and Beyonce. And I grew up going to pretty much all black schools my whole life. So mm-hmm. I got to high school and even though I was pretty open minded, you know, I was into like rock music and like all this type of shit. I didn't really have a lot of exposure to white kids. My dad would take us to this white church sometimes 
And I remember being the only black kid there. And I remember a lot of kids saying like fucked up stuff to me. So I kind of had an idea in my head that, oh, you know, there are people out there who are racist and aren't going to fuck with me because I'm black. I grew up in a mostly black environment. I don't know if I'm ever going to meet some like white kids who I'm going to really identify with. Right. Mm -hmm. So I go to the ninth grade and I meet this kid, Ryan. And I remember him and his friends uh, would, would like hang out with like me and my friends and play basketball after school. This is all like our first semester, right? Mm-hmm. And I just remember us playing like basketball, and, like talking about girls that we thought were cute and talking about rap music. And it really dawned on me that we were a lot more alike than we're different. And it feels kind of ignorant to like say that now, but I really had to have that in my face to really get it. I had to really be around some white kids my age who I felt like were more of my peers or more similar to me than my other in- my other interactions where it was like I was the outcast or like I was a different one, right? And I remember he told me about MF Doom. We used to talk on AIM after class and he sent me an MP3 over AIM of this song, Rhymes Like Dimes, from the yeah. first Doom album, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I saw a flyer for a Talib Kweli concert coming up, and MF Doom was the opening act. So I was like, Mom, I really want to go to this. I had a couple chances to go to that concert prior to that, but I got in trouble. I had a ticket to this Blink-182 Green Day concert in like the eighth grade, Yeah. but I did something really dumb and pretty nerdy, and I got fucking suspended from my school what did you do I, I like basically used to be on this like chat program called irc yeah and oh yeah like yeah that was, was like one of the first places where i would like you know download movies and like music and shit and i got a bunch of kids in my eighth grade math class to skip class with me to go to a classroom that i knew would be empty where I downloaded Jason X over IRC and have a little viewing party. And a teacher walked in on like me and like 10 other kids who I had all convinced to skip. And um, I was pointed out as, as, as a ringleader. So my mom made me sell my Blink-182 Green Day tickets. So that would have been my first concert, but it ended up being Doom instead. Um, <laughs> I think that I think that's the best story to have to miss a concert that I've ever heard. Yeah, it was it, it it was cool though. You know, I wasn't mad. No, actually, I I was a little mad because there was a girl that I really liked. So I was kind of quote unquote dating like my first little girl girlfriend, yeah. and I sold the ticket to this guy who I had heard liked her and was like, oh, like like me and her went to different schools. Mm-hmm. And I had heard that like she had been walking around her school holding hands with this little boy, <laughs> and um, the little boy for like some reason we had you know mutual friends or something. He's he's the one that bought the freaking ticket for me, <laughs> and I remember him coming to my house and like buying the ticket and just being like, "You motherfucker." <laughs> uh, Maybe that's why I got so into fucking you know emo music and shit later on in life who knows <laughs> you had your heart broken it, it it drives you into the get up kids arms oh straight up oh god um but anyway i went to the doom concert i went by myself um 
And I went there to really see Kwali because I had heard of him and, and I was a fan. But I was interested in like the Doom track that my friend Ryan sent me. And I never got to see Kwali because he went on so fucking late because it's like a rap concert. And my mom made me leave at like 11 p.m. So I only saw Doom. But I was blown away by Doom. And it was around the time the Mad Villain album came out. So I went and I got that. And I got his first album. And from that point on, I was just way into Doom. And from that, I kept finding out about more underground music. So what was the first uh, like punk concert then you went to? First punk concert that I went to, I think, is one that I put on. Really? It was, for, it, it was for this band called The Ergs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That band's fucking amazing. So I was freaking like, by like this point, I, I had only been to that one concert. I've been to that Doom concert, right? Yeah. And I was really geeked on it. So I would pick up flyers from my local record store and just put them on my wall and just be like, damn, like, I hope I get to go to another concert one day. <laughs> yep. Right. I was a fan of this band, The Ergs, because I was into the pop punk stuff and I was really into the internet. So from the internet, I found out about them and I went on their website and I saw that they had a TBD for their Houston show. Mm -hmm. So I emailed them and I was like, hey, I can set up a show for you. I had never done that ever. Right? <laughs> they like wrote me back and they said, all right, cool, let's do it. I had this one friend in my school who I knew was into punk, right? This is like, this is maybe like the next year or the next semester after that Doom concert. I've I've made more friends in my school. I've actually started to find friends in my school who were into punk, right? Mm -hmm. And one of them was, was this girl, Aaron, who was in my German class. And she was in a grindcore band. And at the time, I didn't know what, like, grind was. I just thought it was all, like, punk or, like, you know, any, any, honest, honestly, at one point in my life, I thought that all rock music was, like, punk music unless it was, like, classic rock. And then that was lame to me, right? <laughs> yeah. So if, so if you were, like, a freaking band that existed before the Ramones, I didn't fuck with you, right? So anyway, Aaron, I remember she gave me a flyer for a concert she was putting on. And this was summertime, so I couldn't go and see her at school. I, like, called her. Her dad answered and said Aaron was, like, busy or, like, out of town or something. And um, I really wanted to get some advice from her on how to actually put on a show. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get a hold of her. So I did what I knew based on what I saw. I knew that people put on shows by calling venues, figuring out a space to have a concert at. Yeah. And I knew people made flyers and they put them up places like record stores and skate shops and then people came right yeah so i freaking made up a flyer i like messaged some other houston people i knew that played in bands like local bands that i had never seen or ever listened to <laughs> i just put anybody on the show that said yes yeah. i knew that a show typically had three or four bands on it so i booked four different bands um, and, and then I made this flyer where I cut out all these Simpsons characters and I like posted it on, on this long ass page of text that I made in like Microsoft Word. I went down to Kinko's, made mad copies of it, put it in a couple record stores in like the one skate shop that I knew of. And I didn't 
know how to get to more kids because it was summer. So I went in my school directory and I hand mailed flyers <laughs> to any kid in my school that I thought would be into punk. Like, like, like I had a couple friends at school that liked punk, and there were a couple other friends that I thought kind of looked punk. So I just mailed it to them. And um, anyway, the show happens. Obviously, the show is a total disaster. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like 15. Um, like, like five people came. Ryan came. Ryan, my friend and put me on the Doom, came. Him and his and his girlfriend or his homegirl or whatever came. Yeah. Uh, two more strangers came. To like like another couple, maybe they were friends of his or something. Yeah. And one random kid came that had a mohawk. <laughs> um, so I was I was really happy to see him because I knew that he knew none of the other four people there, and he was just like a total outlier. I like really felt like oh maybe this kid saw my flyer somewhere, and you know I'm on the way to being a great punk promoter. Yeah. Uh, show was bad. The Ergs were probably mad at me. Um, I I honestly never talked to them again. <laughs> really, like I think a few years later they came back to Houston and I like messaged them. Like by this point I had had a band and put on some more shows and kind of knew what I was doing. And I went to see him and I just said hi and bought a shirt. But, um, have you run any yeah, of those dudes? So like, no, not at all. Um, if, if you uh, know him, tell him fat Tony said hi. I will definitely do. That's an amazing story. I, I, like, yeah, I see those like, dudes. I totally BS my way through seeing my second concert ever and put it on my first show that is the best fucking story dude <laughs> oh that's awesome but, you know what's crazy that one kid that had a mohawk his name's justice and we're still friends to this day and he lives here in la and we hang out all the time and if it wasn't for that show i would have never met him and he's ended up being one of my best friends ever whoa did he play in any bands he had a band. I don't remember their name. They were really bad. They were like a anti-flag type of band. Like they were trying to be like a political band or whatever. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's like going to probably hear this and be mad, but um, they were <laughs> good. It was like him and, and his like two brothers playing in the in the band. Um, but yeah, now now he lives here and he makes films and plays music sometimes. He's a great guy. That's awesome. Did you meet him at that show? Do you, you befriend him at that show? I, I met him at that show, and then I ran into him later somewhere, and he was like, hey, I was at that show, and I go to this totally different school. But, you know, he was he, he was one of those people who were like, yo, I like punk too. You like punk. We don't know that many people that like punk. Let's be friends. Yeah. Even in this day and age, you know, it was still, like, not easy to, to find people that were into punk. And like the real world, I like new folks on the internet that like punk, but I only had a handful of friends here in Houston, well, there in Houston, that you know I could actually pull up on and like have a face to face about punk and trade CDs and stuff. Yeah, like I think that's the thing is that like that's why I wanted to start this podcast because it's it's always like you're you're kind of like floating in space when you find this music, and then you got to like put the pieces together to find other people that like it. Cause you're, it's, it's not easy. I guess maybe now it's different, but like at any time, I don't think it was easy to find other kids. Cause it's like the few and the proud. Totally. Same with being in MF doom though. Like that, you know, it wasn't like like that, that you yeah, obviously still a little bit underground now, but, but at that time it was, you know, 
before Mad Villain came out, so it's still not as well known. Yeah, and you know, I don't, I have no idea how Ryan got into it. I think maybe he like got into it from his older brother. Because mm-hmm. um, I, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think I saw his like older brother at at that show. His like older brother was like friends with these jocks, and I use the term jocks really loose loosely because the school that we went to was super nerdy. It was like. 300 kids in the whole school it was public but it was for like gifted talented so there wasn't any real like sports or there like weren't fights or anything you know what i mean it was like really wholesome at our worst we would hang out and like smoke weed on like the weekends or something you know what i mean yeah (laughs) yeah like a, a, a safe level of disrespect for authority yeah, totally. But yeah, I think he like like found he found out about Doom from his brother. But um, you know, I, I also kind of credit Punk for putting me on to a lot of underground rap because the first time I saw Atmosphere and I saw Murs was at Warp Tour. Oh yeah, they did go on Warp Tour. That's right. Yeah, I like went to Warp Tour. I I honestly went to the Warp Tour. An embarrassing amount of times. I think I went to, to Warp Tour like five years in a row. I went like from the eighth grade to like twelfth grade. <laughs> and um, as like one of them, I like saw Atmosphere and I was into it because I was like, "Whoa, there's some rappers here. That's that's kind of refreshing." And I thought that Atmosphere was tight. He was touring his "God Loves Ugly" album, and Murs was his hype man. And um, I went to the merch guy to buy an Atmosphere CD, and he was like, yo, for five more bucks, I'll like, throw in the merch CD. So I copped that. And from there, I was like, I like, same with Blink, Blink same with Blink 182. I like, got online, I started searching about those two artists and just find out about more artists they had worked with. And then I fell into the wormhole of underground rap. And, and I really owe a lot to that moment because it's from Murs that I was introduced to my longtime producer, Goldeneye, a.k.a. Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Shaka Gervin, who was in a group that Murs helped get a record deal. And I only found out about them because I became such a huge Murs fan that I was into anything that he posted on his website. So if it wasn't for that encounter... I would have never found out about my dear friend Shaka and I might have not gotten this far in uh, music because Shaka was really the first person who was like a mentor to me as like a producer and a songwriter and like showing me the ropes and introducing me to so many people that got my career started. Yeah. That, that, uh, that end of the end of the beginning record was my, uh, where I kind of first heard Murs and, like huge, huge fan and hearing digital underground and like knowing there's a connection of that was like a big thing for me. And yeah, like talk about like a prolific kind of underrated rapper. Totally big, big fan of him. You know, I've like grown to be a good friend of Murs too. He's like, he's, he's a legend in in more ways than one. Yeah. I remember around the same time I was really into skateboarding and after that Warp Tour experience, I saw an ad for that album in the back of Thrasher. And I was like, whoa, that's that guy that I saw. He fucks with Thrasher magazine and he plays the Warp Tour. This guy sounds like me. I <laughs> fuck with this artist. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's even more mind-blowing for me than, like, finding a punk band that, that I like. I, like, found a rapper that played this 
this like warp tour shit that I like to go to, and he's in Thrasher magazine. This yeah. is a this is my destiny. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. you know, is the warp tour kind of gets slagged from time to time, but like what a cool thing to have. And this is the last year they're gonna do it, but like what a cool thing to have that would like come to your town and bring all these different types of artists, you know, and like and, yeah. and, and like give a kid a chance to see like a, a, a smorgasbord in one day of different shit. Yeah, especially for like me who I didn't really get to go to shows, you know, yeah. like going going to the warp tour was like my one show a year for like a few years. Mm-hmm. You know, and the it was like my one chance to see all these bands I had read about. And just to like see that there are punk people that actually existed out there and it wasn't just like a myth. And I was never discouraged when I didn't have like punk friends or, or anything. Like, you know, I was into this because I was into it. I wasn't into it because I was part of a scene. And I also didn't like dress punk or anything. I was just really into the music. Mm-hmm. I thought the music was cool. I thought the like values were cool i thought that it was cool that there were like teens making music i remember i like got this uh minor threat dvd of like some live show and one one of the bonus features was an interview with ian and he's talking about how they like booked their own shows and they started their own label and i was looking at him like damn this guy is like my age saying this and I really took that attitude and I turned around to all of my friends who I was making rap music with. Mm. And I was like, yo, let's follow this model here that these bands are doing. And it's, and it's like, that's like, I think the greatest takeaway from punk ultimately is that, that idea that like, oh shit, we can just do it ourselves and like define our own terms of success. Hell yeah. Cause I, cause I saw that in like rap music too. Yeah. But yet yeah, Yet again, those are all like adults doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and seeing Ian speak this as a straight up 16 year old was like, oh, my God, uh, the light bulb went off. I can fucking do this right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess like going back to, I guess, before, a few years before that, you played in a couple bands, right? Yeah, I like played in a band in like high school but it never really went past us playing music at my house and we played a couple shows we like played a birthday party at our friend's parents house and like then we played like a like a community center or something really nothing serious like nothing close to what i started to do with my rap group towards my junior senior year of high school where like we went back to that venue where I booked the Erg show and I started putting on shows there often for like my group and for other local bands for like some reason back in the day, there were a lot of ska bands when I was in high school (laughs) in like the two thousands. I really don't know why, but in Houston, there were a lot of ska bands, maybe because the band 10, 10 foot fall is from there. And like, they kind of had some like ska songs and stuff. So maybe that influenced, kids to be into sky i don't don't know what the fuck happened they also have one of the best like 90s punk songs ever when the kids of junior high unite i love (laughs) that song so much nice well 
you know, I didn't really get into the ten the ten foot fall guys. Sorry, man. I know I'm lame. I had friends who would go to the annual show. I didn't go to that shit. I'm I'm sorry. I didn't check them out. What was their scene <laughs> like then? What was why, like? Why was it just like not cool, or was it just like like why? why I don't not? know. Like I I don't know. I just wasn't interested. Like once I started putting on shows and stuff, a lot of the punk that I was getting into was like some of the hardcore stuff. I, I was really into like straight edge bands, like the uh, Gorilla Biscuits and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And I just didn't see that in that type of music. You know, this is when I was starting to really take myself a little more seriously as like a punk. So I was like, yo, I want kind of like harder stuff. I was getting into like older music, like the Fugazi stuff, like Rites of Spring. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really see that in like a lot of bands in like Houston that I was coming across. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and then my friend Aaron was was in this like grindcore band. And that was like a little heavier than I wanted. So I just really didn't have like a local place where I went for punk still punk was kind of my like personal thing you know i had certain records that i love certain bands that i love that i would talk to if that i would talk about with, like a couple friends of mine but i really didn't go out and really be active in the local punk scene but far as houston goes i really want to talk about my friend blackie who i think is probably the artist that i've met in my lifetime that's inspired me the most as far as his like values and and just how much he pushes the edge and experiments and is able to incorporate some of his own punk background with his rap background and make totally different kind of music. And that motherfucker really changed my life. He's the first person that took me on a real tour. Well, like, how'd you meet him? How, how, how did that relationship first come about? I had a friend that put on an art show and she booked both of us to perform. This was like a couple years after I got out of high school. It's like 2008. And he played after me. And I remember he like brought in this huge PA and it was super noisy. And like the beat sounded like fucking Memphis, 3-6 Mafia style music. And he's screaming over it. And then some of the songs were kind of like fucking, you know, emo sounding. I like bought a CD off of him. I read a lyric sheet. He's he's the he's he's the first artist who made me cry from just reading his fucking lyric sheet. And after that, I I kept going to his shows and just trying to be friends with him. And we just kept in touch and we kept playing gigs together. And I felt that we just really hit it off because we were both like black dudes who were into punk and into rap at the same damn time. Mm-hmm. What was, yeah, like, he's, it, what was his scene prior to that? Like, what, what was, you said he played in a band prior to that. What was his band? Yeah, he was from this town called uh, Laporte, which was a little far from where I grew up in uh, Houston. But he told me that he played in bands and that he played bass. And we kind of bonded over that because I was like, yo, I played bass in like my band. And we had kind of similar stories. We both played in bands that didn't really do anything, but we liked punk. But but we got a little bit further when we stuck to doing rap music. Yeah, He was just able to take his like rap shit in a way more experimental uh, direction than I did with mine. Mm-hmm. And um, Man, to this day, that dude is my hero. Like... 
every time I would watch him play, just like the passion that he gives it and the honesty that he gives it, like he is truly emo and truly hip hop and truly punk and truly noise and all of that shit. He's one of the most original artists I've ever met in my entire life. That's and all- me did a really cheesy zombie movie. T- <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Like, I guess, because like when I think of Houston, obviously like, you know, I'm, I'm thousands of miles away, hundreds of miles away, obviously, you know, the, the Houston raps, hip hop stuff we've talked about, but also like, you know, I think of the 30 foot fall aforementioned and, uh, and like fatal flying guillotines, but I'm, uh, you Oh know, yeah. You, do you know them at all? Hell yeah, man. I, um, one of the guys in that band, Roy, Roy. He, the yeah, best. Roy, Roy worked at this bar, Walters, which I played a lot, a lot, a lot. And I just remember talking to him about bands and like he was one of those guys that I looked up to because he was one of the first people I met when like, I was young that I had played in a band I had heard of. Like I remember seeing their, their name in like Spin Magazine and yeah. seeing, like you know CDs of them and stuff. And um yeah, that was a band that was another band that I wanted to see but I never got to see. Like mm-hmm. you know, if I could go back in time, I wish I went to way more shows than I could have. <laughs> but I just I every time I went to shows, I often went uh, went just totally alone, which I didn't like that much. It just kind of felt a little boring, it's like waiting around for bands and because I didn't have that many friends that wanted to do it, I just didn't go to many yeah yeah well it's hard it's like you know especially when you don't have the peers to kind of like you know surround yourself with it's it, those shows can be very lonely yeah especially because like if, if if you're not of like the show culture you like show up right on time and you just wait <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i would show up when like doors open and just sit there you know i didn't have like twitter or like you know instagram to like kill kill time with i'm just sitting there waiting until the time that my mom said she's gonna take me home and just hoping that i could see something yeah yeah no i i can relate to that definitely um and that early kind of show going experience as you say until you learn the kind of culture of going to shows showing up a little later and all that kind of stuff it's like you know i would show up like sometimes you know three hours before doors <laughs> just like just, just like walk around um, yeah. walk walk to like the nearest bookstore or whatever <laughs> yeah exactly read the free local weekly like cover to cover oh hell yeah i did that constantly <laughs> <laughs> um i guess like going back did you did your band have a name yeah we were called donatello and most people thought i named it after the ninja turtle but i really named it after a jawbreaker song that was really into them Damn, that's awesome. Also, like, good. You had to, like, you know, once again, just like amazing taste in punk rock, too. Like, for someone who's getting into it on your own and not having, like, it, like someone being like, oh, no, this is the cool stuff. That's not the cool stuff. Like, you're, you're kind of finding all the cool stuff on your own. Just, just from having, like, the internet and being able to, like, download music freely, I like, kind of had this rule where I would download three different songs by a band. And if I liked them, I would keep going further and and try to go buy the actual CD. Mm -hmm. And they were just one of the bands that I liked. Like, like I 
like that it kind of had a pop punk side to it. I like that it kind of had a sensitive emotional side to it. It like kind of had a gruff side to it where like the singer's voice was kind of hoarse and that reminded me of like the hardcore stuff that that I liked. It just yeah. hit on so many points. And just later on in life, I was like, damn, this stuff is actually really hip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I but I got the Jawbreaker CD thanks again to Warp Tour. Because one of the warp tours I was going to go to, it got rained out. So they moved the date to like another day. And I just had a day at home, like nothing to do. So I asked my mom to take me to the record store. I saw the Jawbreaker CD for 24 hours. I remember it. I liked the three songs that I got online. And I loved that CD and just kept getting more into the band and just tried to find out more shit that reminded me of that. And so, like, I guess when you when you go make the transition to, you know, hip hop and you're you're kind of deciding that's where you're going to go, was there like a feeling out period musically to kind of find your sound? Or was that just kind of something you did, uh, like, by putting these live shows on and going out and performing in front of an audience? My first group was called The Low Ends, and we named ourselves after Low End Theory. Yeah. The uh, Tribe Called Quest album. Yeah. So I already had in mind that out of all the rap that I liked, I really saw myself more in this world that was on like the backpack side of like MERS and Atmosphere and Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul. Mm -hmm. So I tried to bring that to my group. The two other members had like different interests. Our producer was really into RZA. He would bring like this like book that like Rizzo wrote. I think it's called like the Wu Tang Manual or something. <laughs> and we would, and would just talk to us on and on about Rizzo and about the Wu Tang. And he really put us on like a lot of the Wu Tang shit. So musically, he was coming from that, and he also loved Dre. So he was trying to do beats that kind of had like synthy sound. I was just trying to rap like fucking tip the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and the other artist was really into battle rap so he was trying to be like a super lyrical like like he was the guy that like put us on to all these message boards where like kids would like type out battle raps to each other in like message board threads <laughs> so like that was our three different zones and our group the low ends and um i was really proud of us we like made our first cd we like played a bunch of shows. A couple of the shows are still online. They're, they're they're still on YouTube right now. You can watch me as a teenager rapping. I'm much heavier than I am now, but I honestly was not that whack. I listened to a few minutes of it and I was like, damn, I'm kind of holding my own for being a kid and not knowing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But um, I've, 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 I really loved that group. And my whole goal was to like, being a rap group that really took off. I, I never wanted to go solo or make music alone. I always wanted to be in a group. Maybe, maybe because for like the first time in my life, I was really like happy to meet other people I, I could talk to music with, you know, mm -hmm. I could talk about music with, you know? So, um, I, I was really into that group, but that group didn't work out because the other two members, I don't think they took it as like seriously. They like weren't as like, crazed about music as as i was and i remember we booked a show and i was the only person that showed up and i ended up like just performing my parts of our songs and i had like a couple solo songs then and after that point i was like you know what these guys aren't as serious as i am 
I'm gonna just try to make music on 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 my own. And I started doing the Fat Tony thing solo. That was like when I was 18 or so. Okay. And was like with Fat Tony, was it kind of did you have a following already through low end theory and the other stuff you were doing, or is it like, you know, starting from scratch again? I I had some like friends that were into us from like that. And they definitely kept being my like supporters, but I was trying to find a new audience then. Like, like I started going to more shows actively then. By this point, I'm in my like freshman year of college, so I'm I'm a bit more like confident. I'm like I, I like know the scene a little better, and I just start going to these local like rap shows and just taking chances at like open mics and just for me being like good i guess i would get booked and i'd make friends and people would want to help me and just from like that point i just kept trying and just making music and just working hard and just like taking it really really seriously then around that time i met shaka and then we just formed a partnership and he said he wanted to uh produce me and from like there i was stuck in this <laughs> <laughs> it felt like kind of the i don't know i guess like the end of the first decade of the 2000s like rap music hip-hop music uh goes through this like kind of really cool period where it's you know not saying it's the same as what happened with punk or because it's completely its own thing but it's like this moment where i guess because of the technology it's just like there's just like a lot more options and paths for fans to find artists that they like and artists that are yeah. doing different things like yourself and you know like a lot of people you've worked with too yeah, man, I definitely started to find more friends from different parts of the country who were kind of similar to me. Other kids who were in the punk that made rap music too, mm-hmm. which I never thought that I'd meet besides Blackie. Like, it, it, it was incredible meeting Blackie, but then to meet other friends from around the country doing the same thing, I was blown away and it made me feel like maybe there's something to this. You know, maybe there is a way it's like approach underground rap in this really DIY way. Where did you kind of like, when did you feel like you had found, you know, when did you first achieve success in your mind? The first time I put out an, an, an album was Rabdor Gab. This album I put out in 2010, I put it out on Bandcamp. And I remember by this point I had, started going to like Brooklyn a bit because I went to play the CMJ festival in 2009. That was my first time going to New York and my second time leaving Texas ever. Prior to that, I went to Atlanta where um, Shaka lived to go work with him. And by 2009, he was living in um, Brooklyn and I got accepted to the CMJ festival. I went out there to play it. I figured out it was kind of easy to go up there and like make friends and just try to start a network. So I went up there and I put out this CD in 2010 on Bandcamp. And I remember I got an email from Nick Catchdubs from Fool's Gold. And I was like, wow, someone from a real record label actually saw my press release that I sent out and like saw this record that I put out. Maybe I'm actually good. Yeah. It's it's also awesome that you like, you know, just applied to CMJ. Like so many people wait till they're on a label 
and wait till like they can get up there, you know, on a showcase, but to just like, you know, to know that you got to put that kind of effort in. I mean, dude, much, much like putting on the freaking Erg show. Like I did a lot of this shit. Cause it's like kind of, kind of blindly kind of knowing yeah. what I'm doing, but just feeling like, yo, I'm not going to get it. If like, I don't try, mm-hmm. you know, I like, and, and just having the internet makes it easy. You can just search and just figure out how to make it happen. Like I figured out how to, how to find a studio to book studio time. When I first recorded, I figured out how to put on a show. I figured out how to apply to CMJ and apply to South by Southwest. I figured out how to, buy a plane ticket and like keep keep a part-time job to kind of fund this stuff like i i just spent a lot of time in my room on a computer reading (laughs) (laughs) but it's like and i guess that's the only way you know like once again like unless you have like you know a a scene of people that are doing it the exact same way that you're going to do it like you kind of have to there's no course for this there's no school for this yeah and I wasn't afraid. Like I was like, you know, like the like the worst that I can happen is like have a thing fail or not get accepted. I'm gonna get up and just try it again. Like I just really felt like with with music, I had nothing to lose. And at this point, I felt like music had given me so much. Like music had allowed me to leave my state for the first time, to like get on an airplane for the first time, to like get like respect for like something that i totally made up for the first time like you know music had only blessed me and every time that i had a misstep in music like like my rap group not working out or like only five people coming to a show people think you named yourself after a ninja turtle yeah, yeah. Oh, like posting, I name myself after a dumbass Ninja Turtle. No disrespect because I fuck with those movies as a young man. Absolutely, but you had a much cooler reference in mind. Yeah, no one got got that either. So I just ran with it. Kids were like, "Oh, it's it's the turtle." I'm like, "Yeah, it's the turtle." Because no one knew Jawbreaker. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I still think you deserve credit for going with a deep cut Jawbreaker reference. Thank you, thank you. The fucking album track. You know? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, not you know, and, and and at a time where naming yourself after a Ninja Turtle would be the much more in vogue thing to do. So totally, you know. Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I'm. Just, I was just saying that like music had only helped me. Like it, it had never knocked me down that much. You know, I've I feel blessed that I'm able to do what I do. I feel blessed that I'm able to fucking talk to you right now. Like this, this is all due to my obsession with making music and trying things on a whim. And I'll never let that go. Like I, I haven't gotten anything in this life without just going balls to the wall and giving it my all and seeing what happens. Yeah. Like when did you actually move out to California? I first moved here. In January of 2012, I came here to make two albums, Double Dragon and Smart Ass Black Boy. Me and Shaka got a record deal with uh, Partisan Records. They, they had a hip-hop label called Young One. Mm-hmm. And um, I moved here kind of on my music nerdy shit again. They told me that, you know, L.A. was an option to make the album because they had some of their staff out here and they had room in, 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 in their house. And their house was in a neighborhood called Atwater Village. 
And me and like Shaka were talking about coming out here or doing an album in like Houston or going to Brooklyn. And I really pushed for doing an album out here because I knew an Atwater Village was where the Beastie Boys <laughs> lived and where they made their Paul's Boutique album, which I loved. And um, I just kind of felt like, oh, like, man, if I go to the neighborhood where they made that album, maybe some of that energy will rub off on us and it'll be cool. And I only knew about that because the fucking 33 and a third book about that album. Yeah, but still, like, you know, not everyone's read that book. So that's still, <laughs> once again, I was a Beastie Boys fan. Yeah. Beastie, Beastie Boys were so cool to me as a kid because they were rappers. Mm-hmm. They were into skateboarding and into basketball. And I was like, damn, that's that's what I'm fucking talking about. Then later on, I found out they were a punk band, too. And they really <laughs> fucked with shit like Bad Brains. Yeah. I was like, boy, pretty Pretty much between seeing Murs and like Thraster and finding out the BC Boys used to be a punk band, I was like, what else am I going to do with my life? Yeah. It doesn't feel at all like validating towards like, you know, your your musical, you know, leanings or or vision that we are in this period now where punk and, and rap music are so intertwined. Like, you know, like I saw... You know, like you like you just see some of these rappers now, and, and like I saw horror, and they went into a a, a bad brain song mid set. You know, and yeah. like, uh, I saw that guy Ghostman, and he had full on breakdowns in the middle of his songs, and it's like, dude, it, I I I never knew that it was gonna happen like this, but it makes sense. Like like I couldn't be the only kid that felt like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially to like grow up and and not have a lot of like punk friends like i just think it's a sign of times you know Mm -hmm. punk punk was a way punk was was a way for a lot of people of color to get into rock music because through like punk you met a lot of people who were really open-minded and really against a lot of the bigotry and a lot of the fuckery that happens in other sides of music not to say that that doesn't happen in punk too but it was openly people were openly against it so so i could easily go to this music and be like oh this this is kind of a safe space you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and i think you know like what you say like not to say that this stuff also doesn't fucking happen in punk because it does but at the same time like it's it's one of the few genres that's trying to speak to the same things that, you know, that hip hop's speaking to. Yeah, totally. And I don't think that it's a that it's a weird coinky dink that hip hop and punk both started in in the same city around the same era. Like I really think that a lot of it is like the energy of making something out of like nothing. Both of these genres where there's young people making music who might might not have the best musical training or or might not have the best instruments or any instruments at all, but are still finding a way to express themselves musically. Mm -hmm. Like, have you seen that Freddie Alva book that came out with, with about graffiti and in New York graffiti and just kind of like, it's weird how close punk and hip hop were in hardcore specifically in, in, in this book and like how graffiti is kind of like this intersection between these two worlds. Interesting. No, I haven't heard about that. Oh, it's a fantastic book. There's some really cool stuff in it. Unfortunately, it's now sold out. So hopefully, there's a second pressing one day because I gave my copy away and now I really want another copy. Please send me a, li- a link to that. I oh, got to well. know about it. 
Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's really cool. There's, he talks about uh, a group in there that, you know, as a, as, as like a, a Beastie Boys fan, the Beastie Boys covered them and uh, the membership ends up tying together the Cro-Mags and the production team that did a lot of the early sort of brand Nubian stuff too. Um, oh, wow. It's wild. <laughs> It's wild, but anyway, I'll send you a link afterwards, but, um, dude, I've kept you for a very long time and I really appreciate this. Um, at one point in the future, would you like to come back and do a part two at some point? Totally, man. Cause I, cause I have a few more things that I want to rattle off about, man. I want to, I want to talk to you about my obsession with fucking bikini kill. <laughs> I've, I've been lucky to have met Cap, Cap, Kathleen Hanna recently and and we've been playing softball together. And the last time that we did it, her <laughs> husband, Ad-Rock, was there. And he fucking sang me happy birthday. Dude, that is the best birthday ever. Blew me away. You won't believe it. My girlfriend was there. I was fucking freaking out. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> playing softball with Bikini Kill, getting serenaded by a Beastie Boy. Damn, dude, man! I man, I got a bikini kill tattoo a, a couple years ago because I never really put a band on myself. The only bands I have are them and Prince. Okay, and um, I always wanted a bikini kill tattoo because I thought that their name was like the best band name, and I really loved them as a kid. And I ended up tweeting out to her that I had the tattoo, and we ran into each other at this fashion event, and uh, we just hit, hit it off, man. It's you know, it's really crazy to me that I've ended up meeting a lot of artists that I looked up to, like her or like Murs, and we hit it off in like real life. I think that there's something that I saw in their music that spoke to me more than just, oh, I like this. It's like I kind of see a bit of my personality and some of the things that they like or some of their values or something. Yeah, you're right. There does, like there, you know, there does seem to be some sort of like, I don't know, like you're, you're like, yeah, like interconnectiveness where you meet people and it's just like, oh, we, 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 you know, like had some of the same shared musical experiences that have brought us together that not, that isn't the mainstream experience by any stretch of the imagination. And yeah, the stuff we're into, like all the stuff you're saying you're into, it's like, you know, obviously completely different worlds, completely different kind of like, you know, exposures to this music that I'm having, you know, a few years earlier, but like all the stuff you're mentioning is stuff I get down with too. It's like this weird kind of, you know, yeah, it just feels like it's connected somehow. It, it feels great to not be the only ones, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I think with the internet now, you know, it's, it's probably different, but you know, like to find other people that share this stuff, having been alone with this stuff, it's like, it's, it's so you know, not validating, but just so uh, joyous. Just feels feels good, man. Because if we had known each other back in the day, all of us that were into all this punk and this rap and this crazy shit, boy, we would have acted a fool. Dude, that's what that's what Thirty Foot Fall was saying with Junior High sucked. You know, if we were all there wow. the night, <laughs> <laughs> I am gonna check them out, man. I'm gonna check them out tonight on YouTube. <laughs> the best place to discover punk music. Yeah, absolutely. Well, believe me, it's. Uh, I will say that. And have you ever seen the breakdown, uh, Thompson Square Park show? No. Ooh, that is that is one of those rare videos where after you watch it, you're like. Oh, I want to I want to go play Thompson Square Park. <laughs> oh, sick. Okay, I'm about to pop the, the laptop right now. Let's get it. Awesome. Well, uh Fat Tony, this has been an honor and a privilege to have you on the show and uh, I can't wait to talk to you again. 
Thank you, man. Have a great night. Thank you, Tony, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Tony will be back for future editions of this thing. He and I have had exchanged some text messages uh, since then. And, you know, we've gone from talking about breakdown to portraits of the past. There's a lot more places we can go with that, Tony. Believe me, a lot more places. So check out, once again, his Super Deluxe show. And I go on my Instagram today, and what do I see pop up? in my feed, but Fat Tony and Cadence Weapon, another future guest of the show, someone I'm going to have on the show. Anyway, Cadence and Tony are going out on tour together uh, across, uh, it looks like like across like most of North America, maybe not Mexico. I don't, I don't know if there's any Mexico dates, but they are doing Canada in the U.S., so uh, check that out on the media, social media, the media. It's coming out in the fall, that tour, and I will be there. And Cadence Weapon will be on the show, hopefully, in the near future as well. So there we go. What a what a serendipitous thing to find on the old Instagram this morning, as opposed to all the other terrible things you find when you turn on the internet most of the time. Anyway, next week on the show, Spike from me first and the Gimme Gimmies. This is the first in a series of podcasts that I will be having to kind of promote the upcoming 77 Montreal Festival. You can find out more information about this festival at 77montreal.com, but it is July 27th in Parc Jean Drapeau in Montreal, and it will be an incredible festival. The lineup for this thing is, well, it's like a turned out of punk who's who. You know, it's like all people I want on the show or have been on this show. There's a, a lot of a lot of cool opportunities. So we're going to be having a lot of guests in the next few weeks that will be playing this festival. Um, but some of the artists that are on this festival include No Policy, Montreal Greats, No Policy, DOA, The Icons, DOA, Satanic Surfers, Planet Smashers, The Rizzolos, L7, Sick of It All, like Steve Ignorant is going to be there. Anti-Flag, Me First, and the Gimme Gimmies, of course, because Spike's going to be on the show next week. Suicidal Tendencies, and The Buddies, The Friends, AFI, and Rise Again. So I will be doing lots of podcasts in the next few weeks leading up to this. And then I will be going there and doing a live podcast on myself, a kickoff show the night before on the 26th of July. I will have more information on that coming to you very soon, but I assure you, you will want to go to this thing. You will want to get tickets for this thing. There will be some incredible guests there. Incredible guests. More information on that in the near future, but next week on the show. More information on that next week on the show. Um, and we will have more guests from this festival coming up as well. So I'll see you in Montreal. I'm going to be there doing live podcasts. I'll be there doing, uh, I think, maybe a couple of panels, hopefully, and all sorts of stuff. It'll be a good time. 77 Festival, 77montreal.com for more information. Uh, and that's it for me. I will see you next week. Go out there and make your own culture because next thing you know, you could be partnered up with a you know pretty cool-ass festival and getting a chance to interview all your heroes. And the Spike Podcast next week, not to take away from how awesome it is on its own. Um, Spike is someone who, if you only know from me first in the Gimme Gimmies, that's pretty much most of what you need to know because uh, there's not a lot of bands before that or anything, but he has had an incredible experience that led him to being in... Uh, 
you know, a huge band, a massive band for his very, very first band. And, it, you know, there's lots of cool callbacks to other Turn Into Punk episodes and things like that in this one. So, you know what? It's all coming up wins right now for Turn Into Punk, except for my computer's broken. So I will leave you as I go and take this thing to be fixed. Oh, also... Check out MVP's VIP Lounge. It's the last episode he's going to be doing. I've been helping him co-host it for the last few weeks. And this is a doozy to go out with. There's tons of guests. It's a really fun conversation. And so, yeah, a lot of love to MVP. He's one of the most reoccurringest guests on Turn Out of Punk. Uh, one of my favorite guests of all time. Probably the greatest guest of all time when you put together all his stories from those two episodes with him and Zach Blair. So, yeah, really sad to see the VIP lounge go, but check that out. If you have not, I think that's it. I don't think I can uh, blather on anymore. I'm going to have to go now and address this broken computer. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Happy birthday, Tristan. I love you so much. Thank you for everything you do. Um, And we will talk soon, everyone. See you next week.